Praise be Jesus Christ. Peace be with you. Well, this podcast is coming slightly later than usual. Uh, I'm recording this right now on Monday afternoon. Beautiful day. Uh, I'm really getting used to these beautiful California days here. I don't know what I'm going to do when I go back to Oregon and it's raining all the time. Not that I'm going native. I'm very, very uh, much an Oregonian and I'm looking forward to being back but wow, I mean, the weather here is just great every day. I'm really liking it. You can just go out for a walk anytime and you can pretty much be assured it's going to be sunny and between 60 and maybe, you know, mid 70s, not too hot, not too cold. It's kind of the golden mean. But there's a lot I miss about being in Oregon, too. Although when I was back for this uh, last weekend for my friend's ordination, it was kind of like a dust bowl. It was really, I mean, it was very dry. Driving up uh, I-5 towards Mount Angel, there were just so many um, dust devils, I think that's what you call them, dust devils, like little mini tornadoes, cyclones, but uh, it's just the dust is being stirred up by the wind that creates this vortex. All the way along I-5 from like Eugene to Mount Angel, seeing all these, these dust devils in the farmer's fields, I've never seen Oregon like that before. So hopefully we'll get some rain soon and the state will be restored back to its uh, to its natural glory. Anyway, I'm out for this little walk today. And uh, it's a day later than usual because yesterday I normally would have recorded the podcast. I had to pick up a friend from the airport and uh, expected that his flight would be at 5.30 p.m., in fact, it was delayed until 10.30 p.m. <laughs> Just incredible. I've never seen a delay that long for a domestic flight. Uh, he was coming from Spokane back to San Jose Airport. So it's huge delay, which was all right. It was all right. But um, I was over waiting at the Carmelites Monastery in San Jose, just getting a little reading done and enjoying a nice quiet afternoon and ended up waiting around there until 10 p.m. so I could pick up my friend and it was it was a gift actually it was a gift from God for me and for the friend too uh, he was telling me about this great conversation that he had in the airport and was talking to an atheist they had this lengthy philosophical conversation and uh, bore some good fruit it sounds like uh, and for me it was a gift to be able to stay with the Carmelite community over in San Jose, of course, for Vespers and for the Holy Hour for dinner. They were receiving a new postulant that day, so I got to meet him as well, and uh, all in all, it was a great evening. But it deprived me of any opportunity I might have otherwise had to record this podcast, so I'm recording it today. Uh, on that note, as we begin, I was thinking yesterday about this podcast, and just reflecting on the fact that basically every episode I record is 
somehow autobiographical. <laughs> Pretty much just talking about myself and my experiences and things I'm learning and formation, things like that. And um, what I was thinking might be good is for those of you who are listening, all uh, three of you, <laughs> if there's anything in particular that you'd like me to talk about, like any questions you might have that you might like me to address, or just topics that you'd be interested in hearing about that are within the realm of things I might be studying or experiencing, just let me know. You can leave a, leave a comment either on SoundCloud or on my website, inyourembrace.com, or if... Uh, you know some other way to get a hold of me, then by all means, send me a postcard or an email or whatever. But just let me know. Um, and that would be helpful for me to have, to have your requests and ideas about things I could talk about, other than just telling you what I did with my weekend. <laughs> Today, uh, rather than talking any more about this weekend, also, I... I thought I, I would talk about this, um, the idea of a spiritual plan of life, or what some authors and, and speakers refer to rather beautifully as a, as a plan of God's love. Uh, I love that, that language, that terminology, because it really encapsulates, doesn't it, the, 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 the purpose, the purpose of our spiritual life. The whole purpose, in fact, of our existence as human beings as the Baltimore Catechism, the old catechism of the church, put it very beautifully and, and boldly. Why, why do you exist, you human being? To know God, to love God, and to serve God in this life, and to be with Him forever in the next. That one little formulation, you know, people are always expostulating and pondering on the meaning of life. That short formula, for a Catholic, that sums it all up. Basically, there's those four elements. Why were you created? First of all, to know God. And that in itself, I mean, that's making a bold statement. That's not, um, that doesn't go uncontested. I mean, in the modern world, more than perhaps any other era, the ability of man, of hum humanity, human beings in general, to know God is hotly contested and denied in many, many quarters. But the Catholic position, the Catholic understanding, that's a, that's a hill we're going to die on. You know, we're, we're never going to, um, in a sense, like abdicate that position. No, man has the ability to know God. In fact, man was created to know God. It's, it's part of our whole purpose of existence, the reason that we are. To know God. And then why, why do we have to know God? <laughs> why were we made to know God? Not just for the sake of knowing him in the abstract or in an intellectual way, perhaps um, you know we, we, we learn about the world, we, we know about the world through scientific study, but it's, that's not the end in itself. We know God for the sake of loving God. We can come to know God for the sake of coming to love God and to know ourselves as loved by God. This is why uh, Pope John Paul II so beautifully and and i think uh really he gets to the, the heart of the issue he says that man cannot know himself he cannot truly know himself unless he knows christ so you see as we come to know god and we can come to love god we also come to know ourselves as beloved 
by God. And thus we come to a deeper understanding of what is our fundamental identity. And not just ourselves, yes, ourselves in particular, but also ourselves as human beings. This is something common to all of us. Our status as created and our status as beloved. So those two points. Man, why do you exist? Woman, why do you exist? To know God, to love God, to serve God in this life. And you see, one flows into the next. See, we're not just made to serve God as like mindless automatons. Like um, in some other Near Eastern creation myths, you know, around the time that um, what we call the sacred myth of the first chapter of Genesis was being composed, there were other creation myths of the different peoples in the Near Eastern region around Palestine. So the Babylonians have this myth. It's recorded in a story called the Enuma Elish. And in the Babylonian creation myth, um, I forget the names of their gods now, but there was like a one goddess, the mother of chaos, and then her son kills her. And uh, the world comes to be kind of springing up out of her spilt blood. Then the other gods, they rise up, they have this internal war. And the gods who are victorious end up creating human beings to serve them and to kind of work the land because the gods don't want to work anymore. They want to rest. They've won their victory. So they make human beings to do all the work so that they can relax. Well, that's not our understanding. But, uh, you know, in the, the Christian, the Catholic understanding, man is made first to know God, then to love God. And then out of that love naturally flows forth the desire and the duty to serve God. See, because love always bears fruit in service. Love always bears fruit in wanting the, the good for the other and wanting to do the good for them. So that, that basically sums up our relationship with God in this life. And then the fourth element of that great definition, man, why were you created? To know God, to love God, to serve Him in this life and in the life to come, to be with Him forever, to be united to God. In the life to come, we won't be serving God exactly in the same sense that we are in this life, in the present, but we'll be in union with God. We'll take our rest with Him. That's the major difference between the Christian understanding and the pagan understanding, like shown in the Babylonians' creation myth. We're not just made to serve God and then die and that's it. We're serving Him for a little while, very little while, when compared with eternity. We're serving Him now, but it's all in preparation for what is in store for us, the great glory that is in store, which eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has the mind of man even conceived which the mind of God conceived from all eternity. We were created for that rest, for that total union of ourselves with God, to be with Him forever in the life to come. So that, basically, that definition from the Baltimore Catechism is kind of a nice summary of what is the plan of God's love for us in the broad sense. What's the plan of God's love? He wants us to know Him. He wants us through that knowing, to come to love Him and to know ourselves as beloved by Him. Then, that should naturally begin to overflow out of us into a life of service to God. And ultimately, all of that will have its culmination, its climax, at the end of our life, when, as St. John of the Cross says, we will be judged on love alone, and we will come to live with God, pray God, <laughs> it is great mercy for us. 
we will fulfill that plan which he had from all eternity to come and live with him, to be united to him. Now, in the spiritual life, uh, there's a practice, it's a good practice, it's very practical, <laughs> of coming up with a plan of life. Or, as I was saying at the beginning of this discourse, <laughs> conversation, a plan of God's love. Basically, we take that broad plan and we say, how am I going to live this out in my day-to-day life? And you take, you take kind of th- these general ideas, which are so beautiful, which give meaning and shape to our whole life. You say, okay, how am I going to apply these principles on a day-to-day basis so that I'm continually growing in knowledge of God? And thus, I'm growing in love of God. I'm growing in my service to God. And I'm moving towards that final destination that God has in mind for me. That's the plan of life. And uh, it's very, very necessary. You know, it's just it's like with anything else. We can draw analogies to other aspects of our human experience. If you're uh, an athlete, okay, you want to become a <laughs> faster runner, well, guess what? You've got to put the time in, hit the pavement, you know, and a certain number of times a week, as often as you can. And as you're running, then, you know, each you're going to want to start running further, longer distances, and you'll start to get faster. You want to push yourself. So that's how you're going to get better as a runner. Uh, if you want to be you know, better student, you got to put the time in, got to study, study more often, study more broad range of texts, and so on. Well, if we want to advance in the spiritual life, similar principles apply because we're human beings and the way that we get better at things is pretty standard. <laughs> we got to put in the time. You want to be spending your time on the activity that will most bring you to the goal that you have in mind, that closeness with God. Okay, so spiritual plan of life. I met with my spiritual director last week, uh, a new director, now that I'm at a new seminary. Having a spiritual director is really essential if you want to advance in the spiritual life, and you want to advance quickly. There's an old saying from the Desert Fathers, he who has himself for his own spiritual director is directed by a fool. <laughs> so often we don't know what's best for ourselves, and we have a distorted vision of our own strengths and weaknesses. It's very important to have somebody else to whom we can be accountable and obedient and who can uh, give us guidance and direction in in what to do. So I've got a great spiritual director here at St. Patrick's and we met for the first time last week. Trying to shield the microphone from the wind. So uh, as we met, uh, I just gave him a little bit of my my spiritual history, um, the formation that I've had so far, and he, he basically <laughs> laid it out for me what I should be doing every day. He said, okay, from now on, this is what you're going to do. Each day, you're going to read one chapter of the Gospels, one chapter of the Epistles of St. Paul, one chapter of the, of the Old Testament, uh, <laughs> and then one chapter of uh, a Carmelite doctor of the Church. Start with St. Teresa of Avila. You're going to work systematically through all her writings, then move on to St. John of the Cross, and so on. Back to the basics. Okay. In addition to the spiritual reading, I know it sounds like a lot, but really it's not more than maybe half an hour in total, you know, half an hour throughout the day. In addition to the spiritual readings, you're going to spend an hour a day in silent mental prayer. You're going to pray one rosary every day. 
You're also going to, of course, pray the whole divine office, liturgy of the hours, and daily mass each day. That's just a given. Take that for granted. Um, and that, <laughs> and that's the plan of life. Oh, and he said also, and you're going to form a relationship with your guardian angel because the support of your angel is going to assist you in meeting these goals that you have that we're setting for you, which you wouldn't be able to do on your own. So if that sounds like a lot, don't panic. Uh, your spiritual plan of life is tailored to your present state in life, to where you are in the spiritual journey, um, and to what you can realistically do in your current circumstances of life. So for me, I'm a seminarian. Um, I'm living in a community with a lot of support, kind of a, an enclosed environment. And I have really the freedom right now, like this is, this is the time to really make strides to advance quickly in the spiritual life. One thing my director told me is that, uh, it's like, you know, we've got, we've got the plan in place. Um, you know, you've got me as a resource, your director. So the speed at which you advance is really up to you and how much you want it. And I, I really appreciated hearing that. Um, because it is very much, although you have a director to give you guidance, the speed at which you advance, the rate at which you're making progress is very much self-directed, you know, whether you follow your plan of life or not is up to you and how, how much you want to do, how much you want to grow in virtue is up to you. So as you're developing a spiritual plan of life, what you want to look at is, first of all, what's my desire? What's my desire? How much do I really want to grow close to God? How much do I really want to be holy? And if the answer is not at all, <laughs> or not very much, then pray to the Holy Spirit. Say, God, send your Holy Spirit into my heart and kindle in me the desire to truly be holy, which to be holy means to be truly happy, to be joyous. To live the life of virtue, the life that the saints lived. No one's happier than the saints. So pray to God to send the Holy Spirit and kindle in you those desires, dispositions. Then, based on the, the desires of your heart, then you can begin to ask, how can I live out these desires and begin to bring them to fruition in my daily life? Uh, reflecting on those, the four elements, especially the first three of that great definition from the Baltimore Catechism. How can I grow in God's love? How can I grow in my knowledge of God? And how can I grow in my service of God? So, knowledge of God, especially a great way to grow in that is by spiritual reading. And within the realm of spiritual reading, uh, of course, the best thing you can read is the Holy Scriptures, sacred scripture. Nothing better than that. So, uh, you know, my director, he's having me read from a little bit of, of everything each day. Gospels, epistles, Old Testament. Of course, we get the Psalms, about 12 to 15 Psalms every day in the Liturgy of the Hours. And then, in addition to all of that, the readings at Mass. So I'm getting a pretty heavy dose of Scripture each day. Uh, but then in addition to Scripture, I'm not just reading that, I'm also reading St. Teresa, one of our great doctors of the Church. Uh, on the topic of prayer and the spiritual life. And I'm also reading each day one of the sermons of St. Bernard. Uh, he wrote a series of sermons or preached a series of sermons on the Song of Songs. So spiritual reading. 
if you're not sure where to start, definitely start with scripture. Start with, start with one of the gospels. Just pick one and maybe try to read through a chapter a day. Or if that's too much, try to read through uh, a section a day. You know, most modern Bibles are broken up into sections with headings. So you could say, okay, today I'm just going to read one section. Take you maybe five minutes. Before and after you read, uh, begin with prayer and end with prayer. There's not just a, uh, an academic exercise. Remember, the purpose of growing in the knowledge of God is to grow in love for God. So begin with a prayer, just asking God, as I read about you in this uh, divine revelation, this holy scripture, may you reveal yourself to me. May I come to know you, the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not just know about you, to know you as a person. And then after having read it, uh, make an offering of thanksgiving and praise to God. Thank you for revealing yourself to me in this sacred word. I ask that you come to dwell ever more deeply in my heart and animate everything that I do with your love. If uh, you want to take another step beyond reading the scriptures, then what you could do is uh, pick one of the doctors of the church or a great saint of the church and just begin reading through one of their works. Of course, being a Carmelite, I would strongly recommend St. Teresa of Avila and or St. Therese of Lisieux as great starting places. I would start by reading either The Way of Perfection by St. Teresa or The Story of the Soul by St. Therese. Can't go wrong with either one. And again, uh, you could just maybe pick a chapter a day or if that's too much for your schedule, you could pick like a single page each day, just read a page. But part of the key to a spiritual plan of life is consistency. Um, you want to be doing something daily. So you don't want to load yourself up with more than you can realistically do in a day. Because, you know, um, behavioral psychology tells us, I believe it takes about three weeks to form a habit. But then if it's something that you don't do, it only takes maybe two, at most three days to break a habit. And then you've got to form it again from scratch. And I have struggled a lot with this in the spiritual life. Uh, if you don't do something for a couple days, you're right back at square one. You've got to get started again, forming a new habit. So just come up with something that you can do consistently, day to day. Then, uh, you know, the we, 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 primary way that we can learn about God is through spiritual reading. But then the component of growing in love for God, what is absolutely irreplaceable is time in silence and prayer. Time of quiet listening, just listening to God. Uh, absolutely irreplaceable. So other practices are great. Uh, the very foremost, foremost of them, this is also irreplaceable by the way, I'm not pitting them against each other, but the foremost of them would be the holy sacrifice of the mass. If you can go daily, or if you could go more often than on Sundays, that would be of great benefit for your spiritual life. Also, the Liturgy of the Hours, which is, as I've said in other podcasts, the prayer of the church, a form of liturgical prayer. That would also be extremely valuable. But I want to draw a special emphasis on the role of silent prayer, quiet listening prayer, or what St. Teresa calls mental prayer. This is so important because for, especially for those of us, uh, you know, in the modern day, in the Western world, we're constantly inundated with noise, 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 talking, 
you know, everywhere we go. Like right now I'm walking on this busy street. You can probably tell very well from the recording that uh, it's extremely noisy. And as long as we're living in the midst of noise and chaos, it's almost impossible, almost impossible to discern the voice of God, at least until, you know, we come to know God pretty well. Once you come to know him and you, you learn to recognize his voice, like Jesus says about the sheep, you know, my sheep know me, they know my voice and they follow me. But until they know the shepherd's voice, they're not going to follow him. They can't discern his voice from all the other voices of the crowd, of the false shepherds, and all the other voices that are raised shouting in the marketplace. The way that we come to know the shepherd's voice requires silence. So we've got to go into the silence where we can hear God speaking. He speaks in the depths of our hearts. What uh, the book of second book of Kings says with regard to the story of the prophet Elijah in, in the cave, God says he'll reveal himself to Elijah. So Elijah waits there. There's an earthquake and a you know strong wind lightning but God is not in any of these natural events instead the voice of God can be heard uh, in the silence after the end of the earthquake after the end of the lightning storm what uh, this writer describes as a still small voice or other places other translations say is like a quiet whispering sound I love this quote from St. John of the Cross. He says, The Father has spoken only one word, capital W, one word. Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word of God. And the Father speaks His Word in an eternal silence. So the Father is constantly speaking the Son, the incarnate Word, the Logos, as it says in Greek. The Father is constantly speaking the Word. But he's not speaking the word like you or I would speak a word, like I'm speaking words right now. The Father speaks the one word, which is his Son, in an eternal silence. Just to meditate on that. That could be the, the subject of hours and hours of meditation. The Father speaking his word. Because if the word he speaks is eternal, there's no beginning and there's no end in terms of our like human temporal understanding of time. God is perpetually speaking the Son, and He's perpetually speaking His Son in silence. So the way that we can hear and come to know the Son is in silence. All of that to say that uh, the daily practice of a little time in silent mental prayer is, I, I would argue, essential in growing in the spiritual life. And if you want to grow quickly in the spiritual life, nothing will take you there faster than this. <laughs> The time spent in silence will assist in the, the growth of, of self-knowledge, coming to know yourself better, because there's no longer so many distractions taking your eyes away from the interior life. And as you're coming to know yourself, of course, in the light of God's grace, of His love, you're coming to know Him better as well. The two are always related. That's why St. Teresa says that no matter how high you go in the spiritual life, you can never leave behind, or as she puts it, Cease to eat the bread of self-knowledge. We must always eat of the bread of self-knowledge, even when we're at the very loftiest heights of the mystical life. So to recap, coming to know God better is by spiritual reading, especially the scriptures, and perhaps the works of a great saint. Coming to love God better 
um, by going to Mass, praying the Liturgy of the Hours if you can. Praying the Rosary is also very, very good. But in particular, spending a little time in silent prayer. Five minutes, you know? Five minutes is not so much. Set a timer. Close your eyes and uh, resist the temptation to open them and check how much time has gone by. The timer will alert you when the time is up. So just take that time. Make of it your, as my previous spiritual director loved to call it, your holy leisure. It's not a time that you have to like do anything or force yourself to like accomplish anything. It's not time to check things off your to-do list. It's not problem-solving prayer, <laughs> as the same spiritual director used to say. Rather, it's your time of holy leisure, your alone time, to be with the one who you know loves you, with God, who is love itself, who is love himself, and who loves you far, far more than the human heart can comprehend. But in that silent contemplation, we can begin to know experientially what is God's love for us. In silence, we begin to comprehend the meaning of the words, God is love. Then our spiritual reading and our time of prayer will naturally begin to bear fruit in a life of service to God. Now, as I'm talking about this, I'm beginning to realize that's a perhaps a weakness in the spiritual plan of life that my director and I came up with. We don't have any concrete goals in there about how I'm going to live, uh, you know, the fruit of this life, divine love. Although perhaps that might be because those expectations are already included in, in the seminary rule of life. Things like and then the way that we will act in community and going out to our weekly ministry assignments and so forth. But this could be something also to, to begin to ponder on. As you're coming to know and love God more and more, how can I show this forth? In, into what area of my life can I channel this love which is growing in me? How can I begin to show forth God's love to others and to make good use of the gifts which He's pouring out into my heart? What can I do in my parish, you know? Or what can I do to serve the poorest of the poor? All of this, of course, knowing God, loving God, serving God. If we go back to that short definition from the Baltimore Catechism, it's all coming together. Like if you imagine, uh, okay, imagine a sideways triangle. <laughs> these different acts that we're doing, these different uh, elements of our plan of life are like the motive force pushing us forward towards the point of the triangle, towards that climax, which will come at the end of our life, whenever that may be, could be in five minutes, it could be in 50 years or more for someone as young as me. At the end of our life, when we will be united with God. Pray God. That's why C.S. Lewis said that the Christian life can be considered as one long preparation for a Christian death. You might think that's sort of morbid, but I say, no, it's not morbid. It's not an unhealthy fascination with death or a longing for death. We love the world. We love life as it is now, but we have such an ardent hope and a faith, which faith, of course, is a certainty certain understanding that after this life comes an even better life after this life comes something even greater which we cannot comprehend now so all these elements of our christian life which will give us so much joy so much peace and freedom in this life are also the motive force pushing us forward to the life to come to ensure that we'll you know kind of like 
be pushed right across the boundary of this world into the life of union with God in the next. I'll make one last point now. I'm back at the seminary, but one more thing I wanted to say. Um, This plan, the idea of a spiritual plan of life, might strike some people as a little bit sort of artificial. Like, uh, oh, I've got to come up with all these acts to do. And, you know, it kind of ties into the idea that some, especially Protestants, have of Catholicism. Like, oh, the Catholic Church is just all about works. Uh, just working our way to heaven, you know. As if uh, somehow by spending five minutes a day in silent prayer and reading a chapter of the Gospels and going to Mass, doing all these works, somehow we're going to win God's love. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. We're able to do all of this because God has first loved us. That is the essential truth to grasp. We can love God because He first loved us. He loved us enough to create us. Even as God says to the prophet Jeremiah, as He's calling Jeremiah to be a prophet, to go speak His word to Israel, which is not going to be easy, He tells Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. A prophet to the nations, I have made you. So, um, these acts that we choose to do out of uh, our desire to draw close to God, to love Him, and to make Him known and loved, is all because He first loved us. Even to be able to praise God's name, to say praise God, is because God has first given us the ability to praise Him out of His immense love for us. He's poured out His love into us so that we can make a free response of love back to Him. This is something we need to be reminded of from time to time, you know? Um, Just this past week, you know, I I mentioned um, when I met with my director last week, we came up with this plan. Well, not, you know, two, three days after we came up with a plan, I, because I got caught up in other things and, you know, was uh, like an old song goes, looking for love in all the wrong places, uh, neglected my prayer life in order to do other things that I thought somehow would make me happy, even though I know that they won't. So I'm living my my plan of life poorly. I'm not fulfilling all these things I, I had committed to do. And if you're like me, um, when you recognize that you're not living up to your ideal, to the way of life that you want to be living, you start to get kind of down on yourself. So around about... Um, Saturday or Sunday, I was uh, feeling pretty down on myself, and I went to make my holy hour. Holy hour is an hour of silent mental prayer with God, right after Mass. I thought, you know, I really, I don't really want to, but I felt like impelled to do it, which is another fruit of living a plan of life, by the way. As you're, as you're growing in the spiritual life, then it's like, sometimes maybe your desires of the moment don't quite line up with the desires you should have, that you know you should have, but because you form the habits of virtue, then the habit itself will like push you to do what otherwise you might not have done yourself. So I had the habit, so and I, I just felt the need to go pray. So I went to pray my holy hour. And I was in this state of like interior turmoil and distress. Um, I remember I, I was singing in the choir for that mass, and I just felt like big fraud, you know, singing these these songs, um, praising God, 
but interiorly I just felt numb and unhappy. So I'm praying. What began to happen was the Holy Spirit was clarifying in me sort of the distinct questions that were arising in my heart. Like in this state of interior turmoil, um, so like, you know, if you imagine your heart like an ocean, the seas are all in distress, there's waves, big waves crashing and thunder and lightning. <laughs> in the midst of all this storm, there were particular questions that my heart was like crying out. I couldn't discern them on my own, but as I went to prayer, the Holy Spirit started to clarify and distinguish them. These questions like, um, do I really love God? You know, if I'm not like, I'm choosing other things instead of God, I'm not doing my plan of life the way I should. So do I really love him? Am I really good enough to be here, to be a seminarian, to be called to be a priest? Am I really good enough? Um, these, you know, and these sorts of questions. So first the Holy Spirit began to clarify and reveal them to me. And then as I'm sitting with that, um, beginning to understand what's going on in my heart, then, again, through the, the intercession or the presence of the Holy Spirit, uh, what I began to notice was like, you know, if you've ever been listening to a piece of music, um, you, you can kind of hear the dominant line, I'm thinking of like a fugue, or like a polyphony piece, okay, you can hear the dominant, like the melody line, but then as you continue to listen, you begin to discern like the lines of harmony. Maybe you didn't notice them so much at first, but there will come a moment in the piece when one line becomes more prevalent, it just jumps out at you, you know? So what I'm hearing is this, the dominant line in this uh, symphony of my soul it, are these questions that my heart's crying out. But then I began to discern, as if in counterpoint harmony to what my, my heart is asking, beginning to notice these questions which are echoes of my heart's questions which God is asking me in response. So as my heart is crying out like, God, uh, do I really love you? And what I began to hear was, as if in echo to my question, God speaking back to my heart, do, do I really love you? And as I began to hear that, I was like, well, yeah, <laughs> I know you do. I can't really doubt that. Okay, but am I really good enough? Am I really good enough to be here? And the echo of that question, well, am I enough for you? Am I good enough for you? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, you are. But God, I just don't know. Am I doing enough for you? Am I doing enough to please you? My son, have I done enough for you? I remember I opened my eyes and right across the chapel from me was this beautiful kind of Spanish Baroque style painting um, of, the, of a, the crucifixion, you know, the scene of Jesus' crucifixion. Have I done enough for you? Yes, God, you have done far more for me than I deserved, than I ever could have asked for. You have done enough for me. So you see, in that moment of prayer, God was totally like turning the tables, <laughs> turning it around. I was too caught up in myself and my own works, or rather lack of works, my failure to, uh, to fulfill my plan of life to the extent that I intended and wanted to do. And I was beating myself up about that but as I went to prayer, what God was speaking to my heart was, be at peace. 
be at peace. Because the very ability to do anything for God is because He has first done everything for us. And my friends, that is cause to rejoice. That is cause for great rejoicing. I'll conclude the podcast there. Um, I would just ask you to please pray for me. We're in our fifth week of classes now. Classes are going great. Uh, A few more weeks we'll be having midterms. So time is really flying. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And we'll continue along the path together towards eternity. If you do have any ideas for future episodes, please leave me a comment, send me an email, postcard, text message, telegram, post owl, whatever you think of. And let us (laughs) now conclude with that wonderful image of owls in mind with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, you are so good. We ask you, Lord, send your Holy Spirit into our hearts in a renewed way. Make us more fervent in prayer. Make us more ardent in our love for you and for one another. As we continue to progress on this pilgrimage from earth to our heavenly homeland. Make us long, make us thirst more and more for that final union with you. So that in this life, we may begin to experience it in your love for us. And that we may be more and more committed to making that love known to others, to everyone who we meet. Father, may your light shine through us. Like sunlight through a stained glass window, may you illuminate the goodness, Lord, of your creation. Each one of us, in whom you are well pleased, in whom you take your delight. Let your light shine through us to illuminate the goodness of your creation, but in particular to show forth the radiance, the splendor of your glory and your majesty, you who reign forever and ever with your Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, one God, world without end. Amen.